You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes. My name is Christian Corley, and with me this week, I'm delighted to say, is Ian Buckley. Ian, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. It's really good to be back. Absolutely. It's, it's good to... Um, I've, I've done a few podcasts that have been solo affairs, and while it's kind of interesting to be able to do that on your own and sort of like f- find this kind of new way of working whereby you basically, I'm just talking to you, the listener, rather than talking to, say, Ian or Ben Stegner or James Frew or Megan Ellis... Uh, or Gavin Phillips, it's really nice to have someone to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> I've been going a bit doolally talking to myself. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm really impressed that you've even managed to do it. I can't quite imagine how I'd uh, how I'd get through a podcast alone uh, for exactly that reason. I, I think I'd probably just think I was going mad halfway through. Yeah, I was. Um, I did consider just talking to a mirror, but then I thought that'd be, mm. that'd be a bit too like normal life. So, um, no, I'm <laughs> joking. Okay, so this week, as your guest guest from the title of the show, we're looking at um, single board computers, things like the Raspberry Pi, Arduino, all those things. There's a new computer come along, which isn't really a computer. It's a microcontroller, the um, Raspberry Pi Pico. Is it called Pico or Pico? I've been calling it the Pico, um, and I think it is Pico, but I guess it could be both, couldn't it? I have a long history of mispronouncing things, so... Let's go. I sort of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With what you say it is. This came along a few days ago. We're recording this at the beginning of, well, the second week of March 2021. It came along at the beginning of February. Now, I noticed the interesting mm. thing about the Pico is that it's very low budget and it came along in a similar way, strapped to the front of a magazine, as the Raspberry Pi Zero did a few years ago. It did, which was a, a very interesting thing. I know it's a very cheap board, but um, there's a part of me that. Uh, is kind of giddy at the idea of uh, actually getting something so useful on the front of a magazine. It's a very childlike kind of glee to it, you know. My my kids get Lego on the front of magazines, which when I was a kid, I would have like thought that was absolutely amazing. But con- yeah. on the flip side is, when I was a kid, you used to get games on the front of magazines, not actual computers. So yeah, you know, it, it all balances out, doesn't it? So now I think one of the main things about this this week's show is that. This, the Pico is a Raspberry Pi, but it's not a Raspberry Pi. It's a microcontroller, which it is. Yeah. That that lines it closer to something like the Arduino Nano, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Um. I I feel like since the release of the Pico, it's one of the things that uh, a few people still haven't quite uh, got their head around because a lot of people who are familiar with uh, everyday computing like the Raspberry Pi because it is a very small form factor hobby computer. It has an operating system. Um, and for a lot of people, it's their first introduction to working with a Linux system. And Raspberry Pi is kind of synonymous with that. They're very uh, education-focused. And, yeah, it is essentially, the, I mean, the Raspberry Pi Zero, which isn't much bigger than the Raspberry Pi uh, Pico, is a full Linux computer. Whereas, as you say, the Pico is a microcontroller. And these are a little bit different. Um, whereas a, a Pi, Raspberry Pi is a computer, uh, a microcontroller is more like the kind of thing that you find in all of the devices around you. That doesn't so much have an operating system. There's no way you can type commands into. There's no file system as such. They're uh, little chips that are designed for very specific tasks. 
And a really good example of what one of those might be is um, if you have, say, a, a microwave with a little touch panel on it and you type in how long you want it to cook and how hot, it's a microcontroller that will take that information and actually uh, give it to the innards of the microwave to do that task for you and take care of all the timing. Microcontrollers are great, actually. They're a, a really interesting uh, way of getting into coding actual hardware, actual electronics that will do things without having to learn a lot of electrical engineering, which can be quite, uh, quite a dense topic. So I would imagine, based on what you've told me, and based on programming it, that um, programming a device... Well, I mean, I, I know that if I program on an Arduino, I use a piece of software on my computer, then I upload the information, the program, to the Arduino. And it's the same with the Pico, is it? It is almost identical in that... With Arduino, if you've used the Arduino IDE, and for those of you that aren't familiar, the Arduino IDE is a piece of software on the computer which is designed to be, uh, you type code into it and then you press a button and it will take care of moving the code from your computer onto the uh, microcontroller itself. You do exactly the same thing with the Raspberry Pi Pico. One of the slight differences is it also has this thing called MicroPython, which is a version of the Python programming language, which means that you can you can run Python code directly on the Pico, but again, you can run some Python commands, but you can't, say, type ls and see a file system. You can't open files and close files. Uh, you know, it's not quite the same as using a normal computer. I actually got something just on the, on the, on that whole topic. Uh, I got a piece of mm. a, a Kickstarter thing called the Extron Pro, which arrived mm. a few days ago, and that is a very small computer very very small computer it's about sort of I'm just getting it out now well, it's not computer it's, well, it's kind of computer handheld it's almost palm sized console with an inch and a half by an inch and a half display that is magnetic and can be removed and it's got mm. d-pad and a b buttons and it can be programmed with python java and the microsoft code blocks code thing Oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm just having a look at it now. It's a very interesting little device. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, I, I uh, stumbled upon it whilst looking for uh, retro gaming things on Kickstarter. It's not really retro. It's, it's more in the retro style. It's got 16. It's got a massive 16 megabytes RAM. It's, it's a lovely <laughs> little thing, though. It's very cool, nice little games on it. And uh, I'm going to be reviewing it for make use of. So there is a oh, fair bit of um, creating and then uploading with that obviously on a completely different scale but so microcontrollers th there are more than just the um the pico and the arduino isn't this we've had things like teensy and there's the esp32 and other things with esp32 on it there is yeah the thing about microcontrollers in general is that um i mean the perfect example actually is the extron that you just mentioned um because having a quick look at it having a quick look at the kickstarter page i see that the microcontroller that they are using is called an stm32 mm -hmm. now these are a, a, a really well-known microcontroller there's hundreds of variations of them um, and actually if you, uh, you you can just buy one of those chips for very very cheap and you can make your own circuit board and program it but it's, it's a very complex process, and there are people who train for a very long time to do that. It's, it's a career. And uh, the STM32 is one of the most famous ones. And as you mentioned, the ESP32 is very popular because as well as 
being able to do the exact same process we talked about before. You write code, and then that code lives on the chip, and it will do tasks for you. The ESP32 also has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth built in, which, of course, is very handy for Internet of Things devices. And in fact, most of the connected devices that you have, like smart home devices around the house, will have some variation, if not that exact chip, something which is a microcontroller with a, a, a wireless unit on it for connecting to it. Even Arduinos, we're very used to calling an Arduino a microcontroller, but actually they all have their own different chips on them too. So the Arduino Uno, which is probably the most well-known hobby microcontroller, has an 80 mega uh, 328p chip on it, which uh, again, um, you can, and in fact I have a bag of them uh, sitting across the room from me, and you can program them completely separately from Arduino, but it is a much more involved process that uh, requires a bit more learning and research to do. When you say bag, how many are you talking about? Uh, I got a bag of 20 of them off eBay. And it was, really wasn't very expensive. I think it was only uh, about 10 or 15 uh, euros. So, yeah, quite cheap. <laughs> Excellent. So, I, I suppose, in a way, we're progressing through this week's really useful podcast in a kind of size progression of size. Because we're going to talk next about the Raspberry Pi. Yes. This is a computer, but it's small. It's the size of a credit card or in the case of the Pi Zero, half a credit card, and it runs mm-hmm. Linux, as you say, and there's a whole crazy number of things that you can do with a Raspberry Pi. Now, you mentioned people using Linux for the first time. Now, I, I had some smatterings of Linux. All of my knowledge of Linux comes from using a Raspberry Pi on the whole. Yeah, uh, same, same for me for the most part. I, yeah. had, um, I think I had uh, installed Linux a few times just to sort of see what it was like, oh, yeah. but at that stage, I very much just wanted something that was like Windows. Um, and uh, I didn't really delve under the hood at all. And one of the things about the Raspberry Pi um, is, as well, it does have a, you know a, a normal desktop. You can get a Raspberry Pi, plug a monitor and a keyboard into it, and use it just like a regular computer. But another thing you can do is run it in what is known as headless mode, which is uh, what a lot of people do. And then you're more likely to just use a terminal on a different computer to talk to it over the network. Yeah. And then you're just typing text you're just in the terminal which is where a lot of people who use linux spend most of their time because it's a very powerful tool and yeah the raspberry pi taught me pretty much everything i i know or at least it was the beginning of my education in using the linux terminal long before i i use linux kind of on a daily basis and it is fantastic for that because it is a normal linux system it's running on slightly different hardware than your big desktop computer but it works exactly the same and yeah you can uh even the cheapest Raspberry Pi you can get, be it the Pi Zero or one of the cheaper full-size Raspberry Pis, can teach you everything you need to know about not just a Linux computer, but how to do networking, for example, on Linux. And it's a great way to learn programming as well. They really are kind of worth the hype, as it were. <laughs> uh, they're really fantastic little things. They are, they are very cool, and they do so much. And whilst they don't necessarily do them Powerfully, it's not like you can install um, Cyberpunk 2077 on a Raspberry Pi. You could install it on a different system and then stream it to your Raspberry Pi and play it that way. I'm just uh, checking something here. Uh, you mentioned a bag of 20 microcontrollers. Mm. I am the owner of, I'm just double checking here, I've got two of those, 14 Raspberry Pis. Wow, that's that, that's that I have. Um, I thought I had a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's the ones I'm kind of kind of purpose for. I've I've kind of logged them. So, so one of them's decommissioned. The original Pi B is decommissioned because it 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 just doesn't seem to work very well anymore. And then mm-hmm. others have had various pro- projects over the years. So I've got a B, a B plus, a two, 
four zeros, including one zero W, three, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, two threes, a three B plus, then a three in the Piper, which is a, a wooden Raspberry Pi kit for kids, a Raspberry, and I'm looking at this and wondering if there's actually one missing. There's a Raspberry Pi four, four gigabyte, a Raspberry Pi four, eight gigabyte, and a Raspberry Pi 400 as well. Mm. Now, the interesting thing about that list is, oh, that guy of a really useful podcast is bragging about how many Raspberry Pis he's got. But I'm actually, aside from the A models, which I don't have any of, and I don't have any Raspberry Pi computes either, that's kind of a evolution of the Raspberry Pi that I've just presented to you there. It's gone from a credit card-sized board through the various iterations, each version upgrading the connectivity, whether physical with faster Ethernet, more USB, going to USB 3.0, upgraded inputs and outputs of other types, extending the size of the GPIO from 26 to 40 pins, increasing mm-hmm. the amount of RAM, increasing the processor speed, replace faster processors, physical faster processors, every, everything in the system on the chip has been improved through various iterations, and there's, it can now do better graphics. It, it, I mean, it's evolution is... The fact that it's still the same size, and you know, there's there's some there's not that much um, compatibility for cases from the old models to the more recent models, but that it's now built into a keyboard as the Raspberry Pi 400. That's, that's mm. kind of a fascinating evolution, isn't it? That it's gone from out and out sort of hobbyist board to more or less a desktop computer, whether or not you're using it in that kind of 1980s style computer and a keyboard, or you're placing it in one of the increasing number of small form factor desktop cases absolutely yeah and and, and in fact uh, one of the things about that that uh, is quite interesting is that the the evolution of it it sounds like a strange thing but the evolution of raspberry pi cases is a very good way of a very good marker for what has happened to raspberry pi in general because at, at first um when you had a, a raspberry pi from a few years ago let's say uh, a lot of the first enclosures were more or less just two pieces of acrylic with some standoff mm. posts in between just to stop dust falling on it and to stop you accidentally dropping anything metal on it and causing a, 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 an electrical short. Whereas now there are many cases, especially for the newer Raspberry Pi 4s, which are getting to the point that they they could be described as quite powerful t- small computers. They really have improved that much. And yeah, some of, the, um, some of the cases you can get for them now are like miniature desktop cases with cooling and with all of that kind of stuff built in that you can add extra hard drives to. In fact, you, um, uh, you reviewed one of the nicer ones for make use of, I believe, didn't you? The it's an aluminium-bodied one. I forget the name of it. This was the DeskPi Pro, yeah. Yeah, I was impressed with that because although the... It did have some shortcomings. It has M2, but it's only got B key M2. So you've only, mm. if you've only, if you haven't got the right type of M2 SSD, which I didn't, then you can't use that. Mm. But you know, the space for a hard drive or an SSD with a SATA connectivity, it the thing itself is just it's cold to the touch. It's freezing cold mm. to touch it. The, the, the whole device is a heatsink aspect. Mm. It's fantastic for cooling. And um, but it just sits there and it's weighty as well. A lot of the older cases um, that you mentioned, the two piece of acrylic or three D printed plastic or molded plastic, whatever. Once you plug an Ethernet cable in or a HDMI cable in, which is kind of important as well, they're heavier than the case. They're heavier than the Raspberry Pi, and the Raspberry yeah. Pi is kind of at the mercy of where that cable wants to go. But with a case, yes. a case like this, like the DeskPi Pro or the various similar cases, that's where the weight is, and no no wire is going to be moving you your Raspberry Pi around, which it's always been a frustration of mine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, With all um, 
kind of smaller form factor boards like that. Um, it's it, Raspberry Pi is a, is, is a great example of one of them. And again, going back to talking about microcontrollers, it sounds like a very small thing, but as someone who spent many years fiddling with different kinds of microcontrollers, one of the bigger frustrations is that, especially if you're using a laptop, um, uh, you practically need to tape the, the cable to the microcontroller down to the table, or it's just going to flip around in whatever direction it wants including into cups of tea. That's happened to me a couple of times. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've lost microcontrollers to tea more than once in my life. As I said, it sounds like a very strange thing to say, but the evolution of things like Raspberry Pi cases and and the logical kind of conclusion of that, which is the uh, Raspberry Pi Foundation releasing the Pi 400, which if you're not familiar with it, is, uh, is a Raspberry Pi. It's just on a slightly different layout of uh, PCB, and that is inside a keyboard. And, and not only does it look like just a, a wireless or a, a kind of a small keyboard in, in and of itself with no extra things. It's actually exactly the same size as the official Raspberry Pi keyboard um, that they sell mm. that doesn't have a computer in. They managed to fit it all into an actual keyboard. Out of all of them, the Pi 400 is really the one that I just find to be quite quite impressive, really, because you can get this thing, which is it's a fully usable computer. You really you could plug it into a telly. You know, if, if you don't even need to get people to set up a, a monitor on the desk or anything, it's just ready to go computer for not that expensive. It's it's nice as well. It's nice and easy, and it feels. I I, I mean, I'm speaking from a purely nostalgic sense, I suppose, but mm. it, it feels like just the way computing is supposed to be. It's just you know mm. the keyboard, the computer's inside the keyboard. You just start. You connect it to the TV and just start typing. The way it was back yeah. in the day, and I know that's not the same for everybody because people grew up in the '90s with PCs and games consoles, and things changed, and, and some people even had Macs. Um, mm. But you know, it's it's different to everyone. But given that the Raspberry Pi is a British computer, and the ZX Spectrum was a major part of British computing, there are similarities there, and the Commodore 64 yeah. was huge in the UK as well. And again, key similarities there. So yeah, it just it just feels that it just has that comfort of being a computer that you just unpack and use without worrying about, I don't know, dust getting in the fan or whether or not you put the disc in the right way up or whatever. For sure, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it has all of those hallmarks of, sort of uh, kind of retro computing, but in terms of what you can actually do with it, it's right up there with, uh, you know, a fully featured modern desktop or laptop. And, and, and of course, there's the other side to it as well which I think is maybe one of the reasons why people do find a, a little bit of confusion between things like Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and, and the differences between them, which is one of the things that makes Raspberry Pis unique is as well as being a, an all-in-one computer, it does have those 40 breakout pins, hmm. um, which means that uh, while there are ways to uh, attach electronics to your uh, uh, normal desktop computer, it isn't trivial. It's something you have to think quite carefully about Whereas there are uh, abundant kits, which again are really not all that expensive, which will allow you to have a whole range of different electronics or even fully fledged little robot cars and things which are either speaking to the Pi through wires to the GPIO pins or completely wireless. And it kind of feeds back into this idea of you could get this tiny, cheap computer um, and whether you just want to, to use it a bit like a desktop or whether you want to use it as some kind of media player or learn about Linux on the one side, you can do that. But with a few cheap electrical components, you could really get a head start in learning about things like robotics and uh, and hobby electronics, all using the same device. Uh, and again, that also stands for the Pi 400, because while it is in a keyboard, 
the back of that keyboard exposes those pins, if I remember correctly. That's right. You could plug an LED strip into the back, a very cheap LED strip, and then spend a little bit of time looking at code online and things like that and, and learn how to program LED strips. You could more or less make a completely DIY home automated setup using one um, without having to spend a huge amount on electronics, without having to do a university course, without having to do all of the things that just a short few years ago you would have to do to really get into it. There is a, uh, along with everything else we talk about on this week's really useful podcast, there is a link in the show notes to a collection of projects that you can do with the Raspberry Pi. It's, uh, yes. it's, it, is, it is a guide that is bursting at the seams. It needs to be far longer than it is, and it was, it was, it was too long when I wrote it, and then it's, it's just gone even crazier since then. But, uh, yeah, that will be in the show notes. And we'll take a moment from our usual podcast proceedings to just remind you that the Really Useful Podcast can be found pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. So we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts. We're hosted at Transistor.fm, so you can find us there as well. We're also on YouTube and, of course, on MakeUseOf.com. Now, however you subscribe to the Really Useful Podcast and listen to us, it would be amazing if you could take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That will help us to find new listeners and take our podcast to ever greater heights. You'll find the link to our Apple Podcast page in the show notes. Thanks a lot. But moving on from the Raspberry Pi, because there are other devices that are Pi-like that aren't Pies. There's the Pi 64, and there's there's the Banana Pi, and there's all these mm. clones and clones that aren't really clones, enhanced clones, and kind of I don't. I'm, I'm losing my thread slightly there. But what I'm trying to say mm. is, there's devices that are like the Raspberry <laughs> Pi that are kind of um, physically superior which I, again mm. i'm getting away from I, I, I think i keep every time i go into mentioning the word clone i do slowly start to veer towards star wars and i think i'm doing yeah. it again there <laughs> but they have this kind of um su uh, superior hardware but mm. at the same time they don't tend and they've been around nearly as long as raspberry pi but they don't tend to build up that momentum that the pies had do they they don't have that same level of community around them but they're still um good devices in their own right Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, th that's one of the things, um, I mean, because Raspberry Pis, I, I guess one of the things we haven't uh, implicitly mentioned so far is one of the things about them that is very desirable is their price. Um, if I remember yeah. correctly, the most expensive standard Raspberry Pi board now is only $75 and you can get one for $30. Um, uh, they're very cheap. Um, the Raspberry Pi Zero is, uh, depending on uh, uh, availability, is kind of between 5 and 10 uh, euros. It's a cheap board. Um, you can get boards which are technically better in terms of hardware um, than the Raspberry Pi, about the same size, uh, which are a bit cheaper. And the Banana Pi is a good example of that. Um, they, uh, for a lot of years, I mean, the clues in the name, the Banana Pi was meant to be a very almost straight copy of the Raspberry Pi. Um, but Raspberry Pi has, and in fact, one of the things that's almost more impressive than the hardware is just um, this huge community of people who are passionate about education and want to make it easy for people to learn. Um, and whether that is, again, learning the Linux side of things and using it as a computer, or um, learning electronics, or even just installing some cool media streaming software in there so you can make your own sort of version of a set-top box. Not really, 
not quite that because you're not getting signals more, more like a, uh, a digital dvd player let's call it that i suppose the this support is out there because so many people adopted it um whereas you get uh boards like the banana pie which are i i have a banana pie and it's once you get it up and running it's quite easy to use but um Whereas with Raspberry Pi, anyone could follow the Getting Started Guide on their website and get it up and running very quickly. Um, with my first one, even though I'm not a complete novice, it took me a little while to even get my head around how to get things up and running. The uh, documentation wasn't fantastic, and not all of it was in English, which didn't help. Huh. Um, but that's what you said before is sort of interesting, that these boards, which are sort of clones, a lot of them... I try to bring something slightly new to the table, try and have the edge over the Raspberry Pi. And if you are already someone who's quite familiar with Linux and doesn't mind getting in the weeds a bit, um, you can get a lot out of some of the newer boards because some of them have artificial intelligence accelerators on them. Some of them have built-in eMMC storage on the board, so you don't even need to bother with a micro SD card once you've installed a, an operating system. They're all definitely worth looking into. Um, but yeah, it's... I feel it'll be a very long time until there's a single board computer which is as open to beginners as the Raspberry Pi is just because they've had years of making it so. Cool. Okay. Um, I'll best hit this number here. Because usually I do that a few times in the episode and I've forgotten to. Um <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, um, and we, we, we've covered microcontrollers, we've covered Raspberry Pis and the clones, and we've mentioned Arduino and Raspberry Pi Pico, and I feel that we obviously we're coming towards the conclusion of our conversation in this week's really useful podcast. I suppose the most important thing we, we've established the microcontroller, small microcontrollers are very, very are for very specific tasks. Whereas a Raspberry Pi and similar devices are more like a computer, a desktop computer, but obviously a lot smaller with more modest hardware, can can handle kind of uh, multitasking and various programming projects, as well as um, sort of media and streaming and gaming to various degrees. Mm. I also mentioned. Um, so a little bit of fun. I mentioned that there's an article with a lot of Raspberry Pi projects in it. But Ian, mm -hmm. what is your personal favorite Raspberry Pi project? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I know it might almost sound a little bit boring, but one of the things that I uh, I have a Raspberry Pi permanently set up, um, and it is, uh, it's, it's over in the corner next to my router, um, and, and in fact, uh, it, this sort of ties very nicely into the episode. I have a Raspberry Pi, which is actually set up with a little ESP8266 board, which is similar to the ESP32 we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. It's a microcontroller with wireless connectivity to it. Um, and what that Raspberry Pi does is it sits and it's just off. It's just sleeping. And then whenever I send a document to print um, or whenever I uh, want to get something from my NAS, because my NAS, my network-assisted storage, I don't own a NAS box. I just have an old hard drive which is attached to the Raspberry Pi because you can use it as that as well. Yeah. And quite easy to set up. Whenever I want any of those things, um, the ESP32 actually wakes the Raspberry Pi up. It, uh, it turns on and then it will either send something to my printer or it will, you know, send a file or save a file. 
um, which is probably slightly overkill, but I'm one of those people that <laughs> I, I, I know I could probably make that more efficient and I could have just bought myself a cheap NAS, but I thought, why not make it myself? Um, so that's my personal favorite project, just because it's something that I kind of built from the ground up. Mm. Um, and uh, But there are, yeah, there are so, so many out there. I remember going to... Um, an art uh, kind of expo here in Berlin, not long after I moved here several years ago. And one of the things that people had set up was a, a Raspberry Pi um, and a projector screen and some audio cues. Um, and they were projecting onto the ceiling of an old barn and you could see uh, the live positions of a bunch of satellites they were tracking. Oh, and wow. each one of which they were feeding all of that data into the Raspberry Pi and using it to produce live music using software synthesizers on the Raspberry Pi. So you could hear the satellites. Wow. And that is something that stuck with me. I've always thought that was a really beautiful and artful implementation yeah. and a great way to show off what the Raspberry Pi is capable of. That is really cool. I really like the sound of that. Um, it actually reminds me, there's uh, another device that we might have maybe spent a moment talking about the BBC Micro bit, which is another small mm. uh, microcontroller with uh, yes. various um, components that you can add to it. And it's, I, I noticed, I thought it, would, I thought it kind of died off, but I noticed that there's a um, some new hardware being released for that recently. Uh, so I'll try and get some link for yeah. that in the show notes as well. Um, I um, I do like space-based Raspberry Pi projects. When when I first uh, got hold of Raspberry Pi, the first kind of hard hardcore sounds way <laughs> way beyond what it really was, um, <laughs> which was um, getting an old printer and making it networked. Mm -hmm. Which you know these days all the printers networked. I had an old LaserJet HP LaserJet twelve hundred, I think it was or twenty three hundred or something like that, which mm -hmm. wasn't networked. Uh, so I used Raspberry Pi. Um, plug the USB into the Raspberry Pi, then network cable into the Raspberry Pi to my router, and I had a networked uh, printer all of a sudden. Mm. And I, I thought that was absolutely amazing that I just had the tools to be able to do that straight away rather yeah. than spending 80, 90 quid on eBay to get the network networking. It wasn't even a dongle. It's on a networking module that plugged into the back of the printer, which was kind of half the size of the printer itself. Mm -hmm. But personally speaking, um, my, my favorite use of the Raspberry Pi that I've used it for was to basically set up a clone of a website that I own in order to do development work. Yeah, they really, for anything networking and anything web development, Raspberry Pis can be fantastic because um, when you're, you know, the, it's most basic networking and, uh, you know, websites are talking to uh, computers, be them on a local network or on the internet. And when you're on the internet, you are just talking to other computers in mm -hmm. server rooms, wherever. Um, and yeah, you can have your own test server just sitting on your desk, i.e., a Raspberry Pi. And a lot of the new a lot of the new uh, tools that people are using, like Docker and like uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Kubernetes, Kubernetes. That's I how I know, say it. Microsoft's both, both clustering yeah. thing. <laughs> um, you can set up environments for learning and developing on just a Raspberry Pi um, for doing that. Um, and uh, there's a, a lot of great YouTube tutorials out about that. Um, and yeah, the, the, the power of being able to learn, again, learn networking with just an outlay of between 30 and $70 um, uh, for everything you need to get going with it is just, it's just incredible when you compare it to, um, you know, the 
hoops you would have to jump through to do that on a budget in the past. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You mentioned uh, space projects before. One, one of the early Raspberry Pi projects I saw, I think a lot of people saw, was um, attaching it to a weather balloon and, mm. uh, and a camera and some uh, mobile phone uh, GPS system and then launching it into space and then watching it come down and filming and finding it. And I thought that, that whole idea of having being able to run your own space program for sort of estimated you know 100 pounds that's amazing yeah. but uh, i've also seen a use where the raspberry pi was attached to a telescope and then it was doing um time-lapse photography during the night i live in a part of the world which is kind of surrounded by industry so i don't see much of the night sky unfortunately i also live mm. in a part of the world where i should be able to see the aurora borealis but thanks to cloud cover and bright lights from industry, I've still never seen it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 very much uh, in the same boat, really. Uh, uh, where, where I grew up, which is just a, 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 short, a short shot north from where you are, was exactly the same situation. I had a, uh, yeah, the bright lights in Newcastle obscuring all of that. Frustrating. Yeah, so um, I, th I think things like that are really cool with Raspberry Pi, it, it, and it is, it is so thanks to Linux and thanks to the the, the GPIO and a couple of other um, components on there, the, 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 the camera input, uh, for instance, there is um, so much that you can do then. So you can develop in software and applications for personal use. There's one that I saw that would convert uh, Cine into digital. And obviously that's going to, it's probably a lot easier than to just send your Cine film away to get converted. But these guys mm. got together and made a timer that pushed the cine film around scene by um, frame by frame photographed it with a digital camera converted it later on fantastic use and just the the projects that it opens up the raspberry pi is just it's just a mind-blowing list library of amazing projects that it has it yeah it's it, it is mind-blowing and, and one of the things about it that i think uh, makes it so inspiring is that as mentioned before they are quite cheap so that if you did buy one just for a specific project um you wouldn't feel like you were uh it, it would feel bad to buy a very expensive computer just to stick it inside a, a box to only do one thing um whereas when you are spending a, a little bit less um it doesn't feel like quite as much, quite so much of an outlay and it can bring life to things that are just do not work anymore i mean a perfect example of this is something i did some years ago for a friend who had um, a very beautiful old cabinet uh, i believe it was a robert's radio which used to be a a, a a working wireless um which was given to them by their grandfather um but it, it did not work at all uh, and I, while they could have maybe taken it to someone who was uh, able to do vintage electronics repair, I'm certainly not that person. I couldn't do that. But what I was able to do without damaging the insides of it particularly was stick a Raspberry Pi in there and um, uh, hook it up to the internal speaker using a, a, a little board I got off eBay. Again, that cost me about a fiver, meaning that this old radio that didn't work anymore, now they could turn it on, go on their phone, and then play whatever, I mean, at the time it wasn't Spotify, but they could play whatever music they had on their phone through this old radio. And the Raspberry Pi just sits in there perfectly happy. And because the Pi cost only 30, uh, 30 quid, it didn't really, 30 pounds, sorry. It didn't really, uh, you know, it didn't feel like a, a huge outlay. And they had this beautiful old radio that was working again. And that's one of the many things that this board is kind of really special for. Yeah. It's small, it's extendable, um, and it's cheap. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to hit this again.
Oh shit, wrong one. <laughs> so, no, going well tonight. So, I'm going to hit this one again. Which nicely brings us to the end of this single board computer, really useful podcast special from makeuseof.com. Uh, everything we've discussed this week will be in the show notes. As mentioned earlier on, which Ian won't have heard, uh, there are various ways that you can follow us, and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and all the show notes can be found on uh, Make Use Of and anywhere else you can find the podcast, basically. Oh, God, I fucked this up. Um, <laughs> it's getting late. I'll, I'll, work something, yeah, I'll work something out. So, uh, from myself, Christian Corley, and from Ian Buckley, uh, it's goodbye until next time. <laughs>